<laughs> Greetings. Hello, it's Chapo. It's Will here coming at you with a bonus episode. And uh, joining me today is the screenwriter and author Jerry Stahl, who you might remember from such films as Permanent Midnight and Bad Boys 2. But no, he is here to discuss... His ex- <laughs> you are here today not to discuss those films, but you're here to discuss... Your extremely funny and extremely dark new memoir, Nine Nine Nine, which is basically an account of uh, the worst vacation any man has ever voluntarily taken. But uh, Jerry, it's more than that. What, what is what is Nine Nine Nine? And uh, did you describe your vacation to us? Yes, vacation in a, in the very loose sense of the word. I uh, I was uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, man. I, I was mightily depressed, despairing for the world, myself my psyche, everything. Uh, and I decided that when you are super depressed, what better remedy than just go somewhere where depression is absolutely appropriate and, and complete despair is pretty much what you should be feeling. So long story short, I, I, I was uh, able to con the uh, gentle folk at Vice Magazine to send me on a, uh, a bus tour to do a six-part series uh, a bus tour of the Holocaust. So I uh, basically rode with a bunch of strangers, many of whom who had never seen a Jew, for, for 19 days to the, uh, the concentration camps at uh, Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and Dachau. But so, Jerry, I mean, obviously everyone wants to know, you've been to, the, you've been to all the death camps in Central Europe. What's the best one? You know, you went, the whole, you, went to the, you did the whole bus tour, but a lot of people, they might have time for that. So if, you're only, if you have to see one death camp, What's the experience to go for? It's really a tough call, Will. I think uh, it, it depends what you're after. I mean, uh, Buchenwald, just a, just a hell of a snack bar. <laughs> you know, they have a real cafeteria with, like, sit-down service. Auschwitz, not so much. It's more like your calzones, your pizza, and uh, Dachau sort of halfway in between. So if you're going for uh, just the, you know, the culinary, treat of it all I, I i guess you'd have to go with buchenwald well i mean i want to get into the uh the cafeteria and gift shop experiences mm. uh, all of these death camps but i mean i think probably the, one of the most jaw-dropping details from the book uh is that at the auschwitz cafeteria they have pizza ovens they do they so you little, can get pizza ovens. little like the classic uh, sort of a, a neapolitan style pizza it's <laughs> fresh of wood 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 burning uh yeah it's a very good question uh i didn't get i didn't get that close you know i was uh hedging my bets and kind of standing in the doorway because there are a bunch of, uh, there are a bunch of sort of gruff German and Polish people foraging ahead of me to get their slice. But, uh, I, you know, insert irony here. I mean, what can I say? You know, it's a pizza oven. Well, I mean, this whole thing has a, a very much like a first is tragedy, then is farce feel to it. Cause you know, like <laughs> if the Holocaust is the event in like the modern era that really most troubles our notion of an ordered, just or meaningful universe, then the Holocaust tourism, now that it's become, you know, like because it's the worst event that we can think of in the modern world, the tourism industry, and now that these places are sites where you can pay to visit mm. and go to a gift shop to, really pushes that first is tragedy, then as far as uh, cliche, well past even meaninglessness. And in case that you, you know, perhaps you're skeptical of this, all I can say to you, listener, is you've never been mistaken, <laughs> mistaken for uh, Kramer from Seinfeld walking out of a gas chamber, which happened to you? It, it happened. Um, yeah, there are a couple rather unseemly events that happened to me uh, upon entering Auschwitz. Um, I, I was staggering out of the oven, uh, so to speak, after my first experience. And uh, 
I hear these, I think they were young Filipino uh, women, maybe 16, 17, and they're just like, Crema, Crema. I won't, won't even attempt to do the accent justice. And uh, I turn around, and it turns out these young ladies were under the grotesquely mistaken uh, idea that I was Kramer, that I was Michael Richard, and they wanted to get a selfie with me. So on a couple levels, this is fairly disturbing. I mean, A, what is the etiquette for a death camp selfie? And B, uh, I'm being mistaken for Michael Richard. And C, I'm thinking how horrible it is that I'm being mistaken for Michael Richard. So like, so instead of thinking of like, oh my God, like a, a million century. people died here, but you're yeah. like, actually, like I'm really pissed off because these kids think I'm Kramer. They think I'm, I'm like a little Michael self-conscious. Richard. So yeah. what do you do? Emily Post didn't cover it. So I just plunged ahead and figured the, the path of least drama was to just go ahead and, uh, yeah. and get the selfie and, you know, make them happy. At which, whereupon I look over and see the rest of the people in my tour group looking at me like, the fuck is wrong with you? you know? Well, I mean, like, uh, like uh, Holocaust selfies have become kind of a genre, and they become sort of controversial because there's these, like, I guess, like, very, like, well-meaning American teenagers who go in these tour groups like you, and then, like, I, like they're just still in the same mode that they are when they're in front of the Eiffel Tower. And they're oh, yeah. just showing photos. Like, they're just smiling right at Arbuckle mm-hmm. Fry, right, Absolutely, the, right yeah. under the gates. They're smiling yeah. like... I don't know. I mean, like, can you really get mad at people for that? I mean, it seems ghoulish, but it's it, just... You know, I don't judge. I mean, yeah. God bless them. You know, they're there to have a good time. And, um, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting it. You know, you stagger in there and, you, and you, you're thinking, I'm going to have an experience. I'm going to feel this depth of emotion. And the first thing you see is some mook in an I'm with stupid t-shirt eating a <laughs> fold-over pizza at the snack bar. And it just, it's just like, then what? Where do you go with that? You know? Um, uh, there's another, uh, not not the like death camp selfies, but there has been a couple good. One of which we talked about on the show, uh, Holocaust memorial selfies oh, in nice. Berlin. Really? Are you with the former? Uh, I think he's still in the NBA. Uh, he was at the San Antonio Spurs at the time. The NBA player Danny Green. Yes, he did. He got in trouble for this one. I think he had to take it down. He posted it on Facebook. It was him at the Holocaust uh, memorial in Berlin, and he gave a selfie. But the text under it was, "You know, I had to do it to him one time." Hashtag Holocaust. <laughs> How can you get mad at the guy? You know, but uh, back to the back to the genesis of the trip. You know, it's like you sort of uh, you 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 midway upon your journey through life, you found yourself in a dark forest. I and did. Like, I did. Me and, and this Dante. Was, yeah. This was yeah. This was 2016, and it was a con- sort of a constellation of like personal existential despair and like a a larger public crisis of you know uh, Trump and like a let's just say fascism becoming en vogue in America, and you sought out. Kind of a, a, a psychic geography or landscape that would match your own inner depression, and that was the, yes, the Holocaust bus. So tour. much more beautifully put than I could have. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize at the time it was going to be that way. Mind you, I went there in 2016, so I had a million hot takes about Trump and Hitler. You know, I mean, yeah. who knew Hitler was an ass clown too? <laughs> and they thought they could just use him uh, and make a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. But it took me like three, four years to write the fucking book. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Whereupon it was like 2021 already, you know, so I had to sort of revise my thinking and look backward at Trump. Uh, and, you know, instead of the mystery of where we're going to go, it was, oh my God, we went there. And uh, one, of the, one, of the, just like one of the things you describe like in, in opening the book is an astonishing description of an event of, was it Polish nude gas chamber tag? Yes. This is some sort of Polish art installation where people were naked and playing tag in one of the gas chambers. And you thought, well, hey, I got to get down on that. This looks fun. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, sadly, uh, because I would have gone there. I mean, what the hell? 
you know, the kind of journalism I've done over the years, some of it has involved nudity. I, I did a uh, nude singles weekend at Elysium, where, which was this uh, rustic resort in Topanga, wherein, you, you, you know, your genitalia sort of gently brushed the chicken salad as you were in line <laughs> for the buffet. So I was ready, but sadly, they had discontinued the display, which was indeed an art piece, because, you know, the Poles, they're way ahead of us. Yeah in terms of avant-garde art. and uh, But yeah, it was nudes. And I, I was thinking how great it would have been had Trump himself gone naked. <laughs> you know, footloose and testicle-free. You know, just flapping in fish-scale white. Uh, but sadly, it was not to be. A guy can dream. Yeah. Um, so like the, uh, the, the organization that uh, you contacted for putting together, this is like a package deal, right? Like, and this is a, this is a common thing. It's like, we'll get you, get you on a bus, you're in a tour group, yes. and we'll see like all the death camps of Central Europe. It's a company called uh, uh, Globule. Globule? That name has been changed okay. to protect the, <laughs> okay. uh, the uh, Yeah, you know, it turns out, well, there's this whole culture, which I didn't know about, wherein people who aren't rich, just regular folk, you know, school teachers, janitors, you know, a lot of, it's a bulldozer driver. You know, they want a vacation. They're not rich. So it's sort of this kind of middle-class way of taking vacations. So it wasn't really about the camp so much as, oh, last week we toured the Finger Lakes. Next week it's Ireland. And in between, we're going to do the camps. We're going to do DACA. And they just stay on the road. And they love it. But like, I mean, like, yeah, like these package deals for like middle, middle class family, like you want to have like everything sort of set out for you. You don't have to think too much or worry about it. You want to see Europe. But I mean, again, I can imagine, you know, like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see the Coliseum. We'll eat at some of the best restaurants in sure. Tuscany. We'll go around. But like just like the death camp thing. I mean, like what, was, what struck me about it is how essentially non ghoulish or like weird these people were. They were like, well, wh- why are you interested in that? And like the common answer was. I saw a lot about World War II on the History Channel. Or I, yeah. learned, I learned about Jews from watching you know, the Hitler Network. I saw Schindler's List. Yeah, Schindler's List. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of that. And interestingly enough, speaking of Schindler's List, the, uh, the tour guide told me that on that, the last tour she did, uh, the people were more interested in going to the hotel where the stars of Schindler's List stayed oh, right. than actual Schindler action. You know, like, yeah, Ben Kingsley slept here. Yeah, you know? and, and isn't that a fascinating getaway? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't see the hotel, sadly, this time around. But we did go to the uh, Schindler Museum, which I highly recommend. I guess, like, the other thing that struck me about it, both, like, uh, your tour group and, like, the, when you visit the actual camps themselves, the way they're run as museums, is I guess I was sort of su- surprised by how incredibly non-Jewish that everything was, both the people and, like, the... Just the fact that, like, everything that you ate on this tour, including in the camps itself, were, like, pork sausage. I mean, you didn't, because, you know, you're a, you're yeah. a vegetarian. You I'm, know, I'm a like, healthy Just like guy. Hitler, yeah. yeah. Yeah, me and Hitler, you know, vegetarian. Uh, I don't keep his injectable regimen. <laughs> I mean, I think you know yeah, yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. He showed he up was, cocaine, morphine, heroin, amphetamine, and Bulgarian peasant stool. Which yeah, Dr. That was a, that was a, the, thought really gave him that extra. Okay, that was a, that was a detail that, that that I did not know. I knew about sure. his prodigious uh, drug regimen, but like his doctors were injecting him with the, the fecal matter of Bulgarian peasants, as one does. Yeah, sure. Because they have an incredible amount of vigor, and his doctor, Doctor Morell, thought this was just that extra little soup son of something that he needed. To sort of, uh, That's what was keeping you know, him kick up the, the other bunker, stuff. Yeah, yeah just keep him up in the bunker. Bring him down or up or just to give him a kind of a, a I think it's earthy just an, vigor. Uh, earthy vigor is yeah. good. Just ensure a smooth ride, you know. And uh, 
It, it varied from day to day, but look, I take no credit for discovering this. There's this amazing book and documentary called Blitzed. Oh, that's a great book. Which I hardly yeah. recommend, where I got all my Bulgarian peasant fecal matter info. Uh, I feel like, uh, like, like, like you, you, like you made some friends with the people in your group. Sure. Like this, yeah. this was, uh, made some pals. Yeah. But there, there was one Jewish guy though. There was a Jewish guy in older And he was fella. actually like put in a displaced, a displaced persons camp after world war two as a kid. So he'd yeah. actually sort of like kind of experienced just a little bit of this. Yes. He was coming back to Poland for the first yeah. time. Uh, uh, we'll call him Shlomo. He was a, uh, a very Trump loving Republican Jew because as he said, the Bible predicted Trump it was King Cyrus, the Persian yeah, yeah, king. Sure. And even though he was a bit of a rascal like Trump, he was good for the Jews. So we became pals. I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Arm wrestle the guy. You know, you're not going to persuade somebody. Aside from the, like the, the, the essential like, non-Jewish nature of like, the entire experience. Because yes. you think like, just the fact that you can eat pork sausages in, in yeah. the camps themselves. Like, that's basically what's pe- pepperoni pizza, ham sandwiches. Pepperoni pizza. All of it. It was neither kosher nor halal. <laughs> yeah. At no end of the nutritional spectrum did they seem to care. And I guess just like, I mean, the, so much of the humor of the book, but also kind of the grotesque is just like how indistinguishable these, these you know, which are really kind of should be like sacred, you know, almost mm-hmm. like just like profoundly, like almost unspeakable places. Yes. Like, I feel even coughing in there would be some sort of profound... <laughs> Just like just just offense to history, but just the astonishing rubery and just like yokeldom of all it's it, 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 it's like Disney World like it's insane like people wearing t-shirts that's like you know uh, just I'll have beer please or just yes. like backwards hats and just like sure like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the most like you know prudish or like you know for no. standards or no, codes of behavior yeah but yeah I mean like w- were you expecting that or like I. I- First of all, I didn't know what to expect. But the last thing I expected, as I say, was that. And also, there's the unavoidable reality that being a human being or a human of a certain age, you know, I wanted to have this experience. But the first thing I did when I got to the camp, like shot out of a fucking cannon, was get to the men's room. <laughs> Whereupon I met a really interesting character who is the Dachau Crapper. I mean, the, well, in this case, the Auschwitz Crapper Hand. <laughs> who apparently this was, he was a third, fourth generation bathroom attendant. And you just have to say to yourself, well, this guy wouldn't have a job if it weren't for the Holocaust. <laughs> and I didn't know whether you, you paid your Zloty, mm-hmm. which is the, the Burt Young of uh, currency, uh, <laughs> just this worthless and kind of crumply, ugly money. Uh, if you paid on the way, I paid twice because I'm kind of a candy ass. Right. And then I was pee shy because I was intimidated by the ghost of my dead, you know, family. <laughs> And uh, so that's how that went. For I thought you should suffer. You yeah. should be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but like you know, a lot of it is, is you have like you know, um, sort of communing with with your family history. Um, you know, like being like you know, Jew born in America. Sure. And then like you go to Poland, and there's a line you write in the book where you're like, as an American Jew in Poland, paranoia doesn't feel like paranoia. It feels like gravity. And like, could you describe like Poland's very weird relationship with with Jews? Because it's sort of like I don't know. I discovered it's almost like the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Like they, uh, they've obviously done a lot of pogroms and mm-hmm. mass massacres yes, to Jewish people. Very much so. But they sort of like them. It's just sort of like they become sort of a cute mascot for the Polish there, there people. Is, uh, the, speaking of mascots, exactly. There are what they call little Jews, mm-hmm. which are little wooden Jews, which are basically like rabbinical looking bearded Jewy old dudes with uh, a coin that they're holding. And they're considered good luck. 
and they say a Jew in the home means money is coming. And it's sort of like, uh, like a lawn jockey, but, yeah. but for Jews. And there are actually, fun fact, there's now more wooden Jews than actual Jews <laughs> in Poland. Um, and the other odd fact about Poland, if anyone so much as implies that the Poles had anything to yeah, do with crime. participation in the Holocaust, you're going to jail. Yeah. And not just Jew jail. You're going to jail <laughs> jail. Yeah. And so that, that's their relationship. But on a personal level, I mean, and I like, won't you know, lie. The, the, yeah. the little Jew trinkets. Sure. These are not like, I wish you I could have brought you one. Yeah. They're <laughs> I, mean, great. I, would, I would love a coin in my pocket. You know? Well, they're great stock and stuff. <laughs> Let's not get <laughs> yeah, ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, uh, they're, they're not like um, you know, Der Sturmer cartoon depictions. No, well, it's a little, a little borderline. Bit, it just sort of skirts the boundary a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, you know, they're classily done. I'm not going to yeah. lie. You know, they're about six inches. And uh, hand carved from linden tree, which is very popular in Poland. And, uh, you know, but the thing for me, you mentioned the paranoia is like gravity. When you're like in a, uh, a, say, a hotel coffee shop in the morning and some old fuck is over there like sausage gobbling, just giving you complete <laughs> stink eye. It, it, you know, it's a 95-year-old bastard. And you're just thinking... There's no way that like 60 years ago, this guy wasn't tossing Jew babies up in the air and bayonetting them for fun, you know, and, and the way he's looking at you, it's like, I, I know what he's thinking. Yeah, yeah. He's thinking I could have had you, man, <laughs> but I can't prove it. But that was my just nonstop sense of dread and paranoia. And well, you got, you got into it with some, some Polish neo-Nazis in a McDonald's and uh, your, your friend, uh, your friend, the elderly Jewish Shlomo. gentleman, he, well, he knew what to do. I mean, he lived Shlomo through it. stepped up. Yeah. yeah. He knew some insults were like, you know, something the Polish equivalent of like soggy piss cake. You know, I, I can't even begin to translate. But uh, yeah, they stepped up. I, I, I was taking a picture at a McDonald's of these guys in the, the green eagle outfit, which I thought was some soccer team, turns about to this, this neo-Nazi fascist Well, group. in Europe, it's like soccer team slash neo-Nazi group. Yeah. It's sort of a Venn diagram. It's I know. You, you don't even there. need to slash. Yeah. I mean, what, there's no difference. They bleed into one another. So he resented the fact that uh, I was taking pictures of him, and I tried to explain like a complete candy ass basically that no i this is my job i go around taking pictures of mcdonald's <laughs> and you shouldn't be pissed at me this is my job he didn't buy it and he tried to back me down and he did one of those chest bumps and the other guys called me Juden, which is a first <laughs> yeah, sure. never been called Juden before and shlomo stepped up and said something I, I can only guess was completely withering in polish and they backed off and he kind of this little this little bald guy in mom jeans like you know just about like an inch like below over the, nips. the navel yeah, he yeah. Was great you know with the crease the whole thing um he saved my bacon that's great. literally uh, the other like, astonishing part of the book when you know, you visit Auschwitz i cannot believe this like so you're in the gas chamber which yes. is like you know like well, describe that feeling like i mean I, I i've never experienced it but like I can just imagine it like what is it like to like when you walk in there there is the silence of a million deaths, you know, you, you just hear the absence of sound and it's, for me, it was as close, I'm going to say a holy moment, but I think I felt something or would have. Well, so, but you encountered a, a Holocaust hipster. Yes. In, in the gas chamber and it's just some fucking loud mouth who immediately just starts spouting off about how this isn't authentic. And now when I was really reading this, I was like, holy shit, is this like a Holocaust denier who goes on Holocaust tours and like points out the inaccuracy? Oh, well, actually, like, you know, they couldn't yeah. have killed yeah. a million people in these ovens or whatever. But no, this guy was like, 
a Holocaust purist. He wanted everyone to know that this wasn't the real deal. This it, wasn't it the original. Like, it had yes. been like uh, retrofitted or remade in some way. It had way. been kind of uh, remade because it was crumbling. And so for him, it was not real. And what can I say? There were scratches on the wall, which yeah. I just found chilling to my core. But he's like, nah, they made those. Right. They just did that. So like idiots like you would buy the experience, you know? So like, well, then why is he on the tour? Exactly. <laughs> to, to, he knows this. If he knows this inauthentic. He, he's basically harshing my Holocaust mellow right there. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't appreciative of that. But, and he was bickering with his girlfriend. He was like, would you just shut up? So they were having, you know, I don't know if they were newlyweds, but they were bickering like they were together. They were stuck together. And she wasn't really in, in, into his denialism. Now, I mean, like, did you, did you encounter, like, writing the book or researching it or even just, you know, in your personal mm-hmm. life, some of the, the more standard, uh, like, Holocaust denial tropes? And actually, now that I can ask you, you have been to all these desk camps. Um, did the Holocaust happen? I'm going to go out on the limb. <laughs> uh, I think it absolutely happened. And uh, I think the miracle, as I say towards the end of the book, is uh, it's always happening somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere in the world, the axe is always falling. So you might as well be grateful my message of hope, because, yeah. you know, that's me, uh, is that it's not falling on you yeah. right now. Just like, like Holocaust denial, denialism is such a, like an interesting thing, because, I mean, like, okay, you were now such, have you heard the, the classic about oh, the, the swimming pool at Auschwitz? Yes, Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there is a swimming pool at Auschwitz, but sure. they, they weren't letting, you know, prison, prisoners yeah. <laughs> just yeah. take a dip or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Auschwitz, it's a huge facility. I mean, there's like a... Like, people had their sure. kids there. You know, like, I mean, I'm talking, I mean, well, there were kids there, but I'm talking about the, the, the commandants of the no, camp no, and stuff. Yeah, uh, it, it was like a lovely neighborhood. Uh, right over the wall was Commandant Huss, H-O, umlaut, S-S, had his family there. And uh, it was lovely. And even as you go into the town, I, I'm not even going to attempt, it's like Oswekum, I can't pronounce it. It's just like, it's just a fucking gingerbreadville. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so quaint and lovely. And apparently, back in the day when this was all happening, they didn't really know what was going on. They just knew there was this kind of dingy quality to the white sheets that they would hang out to dry, you know, from the uh, yeah. the Jew flakes <laughs> that were raining down. Um, but like you know, like when you encounter like uh, like people who are strident that like the, the the Holocaust didn't happen or it did happen, but it wasn't six million Jews who yes. died in it. It's just like it's this perfect kind of um, like paradox because like I think the standard thing is like uh, the Holocaust didn't happen or it didn't happen in the way history teaches us. But if it did, that would be good and in fact preferable to it not happening. Yeah. So like you know, so why deny it? You know, yeah, it becomes a numbers game for these people. You'd be proud of it, you know. I know that's a very very good point. And uh, Commandant Hess on that tip complains how hard it was to keep up the numbers that the, uh, those in command, you know, his him quota, wanted, yeah. his quota, you know, and he, he was rushing them through, but you know, it takes a certain amount of time. You can't just burn them. Well, I mean, like you, like in, you said in the book, it's one of like the, the many, like very, very gruesome and chilling details in the book is him complaining. Like, well, I mean, we can gas them by the thousands. That's easy. But like cremating exactly. like, the bodies, that's the hard part. You know, you have to work, uh, you, you quote from the, the diaries or, First-person sources of the the what are they called the the Sonar Commandos? Yeah, Sonar Commandos. Sonar yeah. Commandos. Those these, are the, these Jews, are the Jews who, who were, were like tasked with, yes. with 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 running the ovens. Yeah, and they would just get bodies after like thousands mm-hmm. of bodies every day in mm-hmm. and out, working twelve-hour shifts day and night, round yes. the clock, yeah. to keep it going. And 
you know, this has been a trope of Holocaust denialism too. The idea that like, oh, like well, the size of the ovens is like, oh, they couldn't have burned that many yeah. bodies in that many times. Yeah. And then like very easily dispatched by the guy just saying, oh, well, we were working 24 hours a day. There were yeah. two shifts. Yeah. So like maybe if there, we were only working like, you know, a nice eight hour day, you know, clock yeah. in, clock out, the, the numbers wouldn't add up. But yeah, clearly they had specialists in to figure this yeah. out. I mean, and what happened at Dachau towards the end is they ran out of fuel. So they would just throw the bodies on the fucking ground, which is why when the uh, troops came in to liberate them, uh, they were just so horrified and traumatized because these bodies were just, you know, we see these pictures, but if you can imagine the stench and the reality of just these endless piles of bodies, I mean, it's hard not to sympathize. So then like, okay, so you're, you're, communing with this like unspeakable unspeakable horror like the, the just like the the limits of what human beings are capable right. of doing are capable of enduring and capable mm-hmm. of doing to each other but all of this exists side by side with this like the same touristy kitsch that mm-hmm. you encounter everywhere else in europe as a tourist so like like what are some examples of some stuff that, in like the gift shop of one of the like of buchenwald or auschwitz well i'm not gonna say they had the, you know, I went to Auschwitz and all I got was a stupid T-shirt. <laughs> I looked, you know. But uh, what was interesting, for example, um, not this might not qualify as kitsch, but like the books they chose to have. Okay, the but the book section was really funny. <laughs> so like, yeah, they have the, the obvious books on the Holocaust, right? They have the and books like, on the know, Holocaust. Shoah on sure, the standards. Yeah, yeah your Schindler. Uh, yeah, you're Victor Frankel. Yeah. You know, Primo Levy, these. any Primo Levy there? Primo, yeah. sure. You know, and Primo Levy, like Tadeusz Browski, whose name I can never pronounce, is a great writer, just a side note, who survived the Holocaust and subsequently hurled himself down the steps in Turin and killed himself, yeah. just like Borowski killed himself, which is... And he, yeah, and that was in the 80s. That was like 1981, I think. Yeah, these himself. people yeah. made it out and then couldn't deal. Yeah, or whatever yeah. reason. Or as he said, the best people were not the people who survived. Yeah. Which, forgive me, that's a side note. Yeah, no, but I mean, one of the, one of the statistics you say about Auschwitz is like, I think out of like the 1.5 million people who were killed there, mm-hmm. only 60,000 survived it. Yeah. You know, Primo Levi being one of them, you know, mm-hmm. only to, you know, kill himself in a, I mean, like, I'm kind of haunted by a, a, like a lifelong depression as yeah. well, you know? Yeah. Um, so like back, 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 back to the, uh, the, yes, the books in the, in the gift shop, though. Yeah, back to the, the books. It's almost like the books they had were Philip Roth, Woody Allen, okay, and Sigmund Freud. Okay, I'm th- I'm sensing a theme here. So well, like not 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 any of Woody's you know Holocaust related literature. Well, it's poetry. hard to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I didn't leaf through. I don't I don't know if it was without feathers. I don't remember the exact one. But you know, it is interesting. It's almost like they thought, you know, these Jews they're. <laughs> They're kind of yuck hucksters. Yeah. You know, there's some real chuckleheads. There's some laughs. <laughs> they were funny. Who knew? So, they, you know, so they had some of those kind of books, you know. And uh, I, I got to bring it up because it was another one of the, uh, the, sure. the funniest parts of the book. But um, you're sort of, uh, you know, like the, the day before you go to Auschwitz, you, uh, you sort of, you seek, you seek an encounter, an online encounter uh, with, with a, a, a sort of a European uh, kink site. Well. And it was just, uh, well, first of all, like, how, how would you describe the uh, the kinks of Europe? And also, as a side question, why was shit eating so popular among the leaders of the Third Reich? The eternal question. <laughs> it is the eternal question. And what did that do to Ava's breath? You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is a site, uh, something on the order, 
I think it's like uh, Alterna.com, something like that. And what it is, it, it, it's not even just European. It's all over the world, and they divide the patrons, customers, uh, enthusiasts, ecstatics into groups of, uh, you know, there's the humiliation seekers. Mm-hmm. There's the humiliation givers, the smack and the smacky, and uh, there's the pony play, and there's the, the coprophagia, which is ever popular. And I thought it would be interesting to go around from district to district and find out, like, gee, I wonder if the, uh, the locals near Auschwitz were more pony players or more shit munchers, you know. Uh, sadly, in Poland, they did not break them into groups, as if they knew someone might come looking. But it, it is an interesting question, because according to all accounts, Hitler, you know, Hitler liked to stool, mm-hmm. and, and Eva ever liked to comply. It was like pre-Danny Palmas. This is like pre-plate job, minus the plate. <laughs> there was no plate. But uh, was it, you, you, you encountered someone who was into a certain kind of uh, verbal, ah, yes. verbal abuse. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't realize that just by being on there, I think I was like, uh, what was I? I was like uh, mean daddy 50 or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and, and somebody, the, the night before, I'm in this hotel in, in, in Poland, and it's like somebody DMs me. I think she was like special needs or something like that. Uh, special care, something, you know, ominous. And she wanted, uh, she wanted me to like spank her dirty vagina but she she used the um uh, she coined the term that i've never heard but jugina jugina she wanted to slap you wanted you to slap her dirty jugina slap her duty her dirty jugina and i'm like all right you know who am i to deny i'm like okay slap 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 i'm hitting your <laughs> dirty all over text right? yeah it's all over text yeah, yeah. i'm sitting god i can't sleep and this is weird you know <laughs> always say yes so uh i went along and it was like slap and, and then I, I, you know, I think I, I, I said something like, uh, I'm going to hurt your filthy Jew hole. <laughs> and uh, she's like, that's disgusting. <laughs> you know, so she preferred people have very, Jugina. Have, like People, in, I, you know, the kink thing is like, you, have, you don't want to develop too specific of a kink, you know? Listen, I was out of my depth, <laughs> yeah. you know, and if anyone's offended by this, <laughs> apologies. I was just trying to play by the rules of the game. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, like, like, so, so much of the book is, is defined by this, this real, like, you know, gallows humor. And this is the biggest gallows on the planet. It is the it, biggest it, yeah. gallows, but, you know, it's very important because it was kind of a, kind of a, a tightrope. But the humor was all about the sort of extra stuff. Obviously, it's not about the camps, but it's about the snack bar and the people going and the, you know, there were skinheads at Dachau, which was very weird, who were like clomping around in their monstrous fucking hobnailed boots, short black pants and snug T-shirts. Uh, you know, and for them, it was, a, it was a fun outing. And the people, nobody judged, you know, nobody threw them out. Uh, so who's to say? I think you bring to the Holocaust what you bring to the Holocaust. And well, like, what did you feel you brought to the Holocaust? Because, you know, like, loading back onto that tour bus, is it like everyone else is just like they've just seen, like, a Roman baths or something? And they're like, okay, <laughs> onto the next site. But, like, I mean, does, does it, does That's it a drain very good you? Question. Like, yeah. Well, I, you know, I bring what I pretty much bring anywhere. I mean, you know, I like the self loathing, the regret, the like, what the fuck am I doing? How did I end up here? But, what occurred to me, what I was very curious about, I don't know if you've ever thought this, was like, 
how soon did the people who were at this site able to shed? Like, when did they sort of transition from worrying about this every day, the minutiae of their, of their horror and their dread, their ambition and their love life and money to like just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, uh, in the second part of the book, you know, I, I had a, there's a, there's a side story, which is I had sold this book, OG dad that I'd written and ABC bought it. They didn't ever read the book was about the, you know, the hijinks that ensue when an older father uh, you know, I have a kid and I marry somebody younger, but they never read the book and it was very dark. So they heard me on Marin because why read the book when you can yeah. podcast? Right. So long story short, they hated everything about it. And I was trying to give them a treatment, which for the 10 people not in show business in the audience, <laughs> which is a description of what you're going to write when you write before they tell you not to write it because it's not what they want you to write. So long story short, I'm getting phone messages and I make the mistake as I'm just sort of slogging my way out of, oh God, so, yeah, I think it was at, at Dachau where they actually have, they would hang you in front of the oven just to torture you. So they would hang you so you could watch as you're being hung what was going to happen to your body. So this happens, and then I'm walking out, and I, gotta, I get a call, and I make the mistake of like listening to the message, and it's like this I, I just call him a sensitive exec. I won't name his name from ABC. And it was like, can you make Jerry less creepy? <laughs> so I'm getting this text. This, which is like, this is worse than like getting a call from your mom if you're on uh, acid and picking up the phone, you know? <laughs> like, but on a par. On yeah, a par. yeah. Because not unlike that situation, it's like, why the fuck did I answer the phone? <laughs> yeah. But I did because there's a part of things. Maybe this is the call that will change everything. Yeah. And it was just a horror show and I hated myself all over the place. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I couldn't help but think, you know, um, if I were in an office, I would have that experience, which is they don't just reject you. They spray the couch cushions with Lysol. <laughs> they open know. up the windows, yeah, get the like, stink the out. Yeah. But at all, you know, I had that moment where I, of course I was thinking about Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah. You know, who, the day the clown cried. Sure. Yeah. You know, but have you seen that movie by the way? No, I, okay. I went to a reading of it okay. at Largo, which was fantastic. I've never seen that. I mean, it's like embargoed. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's not going to be, it will never be seen. The Kennedy papers are no, going to get released before that. A great thing about Jerry Lewis, which is why I love him. Needless to say, is that he would do this thing Every time he had a meeting, he would bring an attache case, and then he would leave it there. And what it was, it was secretly a tape recorder. Oh, wow. So he would f forget his tape recorder. And then he would get the real dope. And, and then he would hear what they thought, thought about him. him. Yeah. And I was thinking of like, nah, that is the last thing I would yeah. want. I mean, I'm hearing the message, and I want to fucking, you know, take my brain out and throw it and, you know, spray it with Raid. Um. Like the, the the Holocaust has such like a like a, is a huge part of um, like America's self mythos is like a lot of people think like oh like we entered World War II to end the Holocaust so like, not true yeah which is completely yeah, yeah so not but true. like most Americans didn't even really know what the final solution or the Holocaust or what the death camps were until no. like the seventies until it became part of like the public school curriculum but like how do you see like how do you think present day Americans view the Holocaust versus like present day Europeans interesting question I, I'll just tell you for me. I thought I was going to visit the past mm -hmm. and I came back with the sense that I was visiting the future because not to put too fine a point on it or be too dramatic. I think it's just a matter of time 
before you look out your window and it's like, gee, why are they taking Bob? You know, why, yeah. why are they taking my neighbor? It's just, you know, I think we'll start with the special hats. You know, we'll start with the, uh, the equivalent of the yellow star and we'll have jackets. Uh, and it's, it's going to happen. I think for an American, as well as for a lot of Europeans, I, I think they feel that this is in the mail. Absolutely. It's going to happen again. Maybe not in the exact same form, because we can streamline, you know, where our industry has developed since then. But uh, we can microwave now. But, like, the, the, the Europeans, like, did the, they not like being made to feel guilty over the Holocaust about, like, you know, or sort of letting it happen or participating in it happening? Uh, they, like, did they have sort of a chip on their shoulder of that, whereas Americans have the opposite, where they think, like, oh, we're the only thing stopping a billion Holocausts from happening, yeah. and we stopped the original one from happening. Too. Sure. There so is we, a, we love t- talking about the Holocaust. Sure. Who's responsible well, it, for it's it. like yeah. Voltaire said, self-delusion yeah. is the key to happiness. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the American delusion. I, in Europe, interestingly enough, everybody feels like the victim. Yeah. The French, who, like, caved in five minutes and, like, instantly sent off every Jew in Paris, they felt like victims. The Poles felt like the Germans came in and overtook them, when in reality, of course, they collaborated because why wouldn't they? Money to be made. I mean, there, well, there was the you know up, uprisings. There was a Polish resistance. I mean, like millions there was, there of Poles were, oh, died absolutely, and there was a French yeah. resistance too. Now, you cannot deny the bravery of the resistance mm-hmm. fighters. Absolutely, but the very fact that it was an underground resistance mm-hmm. tells you that in the main, the government, whether it was Vichy or the Poles, were going along. And of course, no one in Germany knew it was happening. Nobody knew it was happening. And I guess like another part about like the, the Holocaust being such a big part of America's um, self mythology is due to like the entertainment industry. So I mean, like, do you feel like how how does Hollywood and like movies like like how how is the Holocaust important to Hollywood and like just sort of the American like myth making factory? Well, I think you know, it, it's important on a lot of levels. I mean, on, on the specific, and some might say petty. There's the fact that Hugo Boss designed the SS uniforms. Right. So uh, every rich Hollywood young man getting bar mitzvah is wearing his Hugo Boss bar mitzvah suit, uh, you know, designed, of course, by Hugo Boss. So there's that. On another level, I think the message in Schindler and why so many people, like I love the guy who wrote the movie and I know him and he's great, but the fact is that Liam Neeson had to come in there, this big, burly hunk of a Christian, and save the Jews. Once again, because the Jews had no agency, were just little squirrely people who knew saved by big, hunky Christians. I mean, it could be apocryphal, but I mean, I remember reading that uh, Stanley Kubrick apparently spent his, like, a good chunk of his career like agonizing over how to do a movie on the Holocaust, and he concluded that he couldn't. That yeah. It was impossible. And he said of Schindler's List, he said, Schindler's List is not a movie about the Holocaust. Schindler's List is about 800 people who lived. The Holocaust is about the millions who died. What like, a great quote. Yeah. I did not know that. I mean, like I said, it, One it, more it, it reason could be apocryphal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it makes the perfect. master, yeah. It sounds like the kind of thing he would say, of course. I mean, you know, uh, he was a guy who uh, knew how to take humor from the complete tragedy. Absurdity, tragedy yeah. of existence. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, I mean, that's really what you're doing with this book. So, I mean, like, wh- wh- when you came to the end of the tour, like, I mean... Yeah, the, the book ends with your, yes, very, very optimistic, uh, you know, uh, of sorts, <laughs> prescription that, you know, like it just, if in between chops of the axe is like, yeah. you know, the axe is coming, but like living in between strokes well, it, of it. Well, it, it's optim, you know, it has been called optimistic to me at the time. It was the bleakest fucking thing you could say, which is we're all going to be pushed into the oven soon enough. But since it's not happening now, you know, enjoy the fresh air. 
you know. But did uh, did uh, like did going on the worst vacation ever and like communing psychically with like the, the the bleakest, darkest parts of humanity? Did that help with your with your own depression or sense of self? On a certain level, it can't help but put a little spring in your step when you realize, well, this isn't happening to me yet. So it ended up being a positive. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to start a psychoanalytic movement wherein we ship the pressos to the camps <laughs> so that they can learn to be jolly. <laughs> yeah, just, but hey, it worked for me. Yeah, okay. Um, and you said you like you be, you were you took you a lot of the way, but like you know, in 2016, it was uh, you had you had a you know an unsure feeling about where this might be going with Trump. But then by 2021, you have you know the yeah. you see saw what happened. So like like how do how do you regard uh, like Trump and the kind of like nation nascent like American nationalist movement that is you know sort of a, a, a fascism um, has a sort of a, a little 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 uh, was it notes of fascism or is this just outright fascism to you? Oh, I think we've entered into outright, but you know Trump's like the dumb Hitler. <laughs> you know Hitler had like him or not, you know he had a couple of good ideas until the peasant stool and morphine kind of dragged him down. But uh, you know Trump is you know he's. Uh, He's a manipulator. He knows how to survive. He's the perpetual cornered rat. And there's nobody smarter in the short term. In the long term, I think he's just trying to survive another day. What about you? I mean, it's like, it's certainly, the problem is like, when the thing about this is that like, you know, fascism, like as it existed in Europe mm-hmm. in like the 1930s and 40s, like requires a, like a, a ma- it's a mass politics. It sure. requires like a, like a mass politics and the engagement of like millions of like politicized active yes. people. Yes. It's hard for me to imagine that being repeated either from the right or the left in America, because like our you know culture and like politics is so deeply, it's hard for me to imagine a mass movement of for good or bad arising out of contemporary America. But it is unmistakable that like, you know, the, 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 the notes of, shall we say, like, you know, violent right-wing politics of yeah. a certain flavor uh, that got popular in Europe is there are people who consciously or unconsciously, I think they like, they get a certain thrill out of toying with that or toying with the imagery or the aesthetics of like classic European fascism, like where it's going to lead. It's hard to know, but like, I mean, it's, I think it's very clear that like, you know, like vulnerable minority groups, like, like, you know, people who feel weak, I think very clearly like want to make themselves feel powerful by this kind of like fantasy or even reality of rounding people up or, you know, just, just punishing or like, you know, immiserating or then eventually like, pushing to like down this like ladder, this staircase that mm-hmm. ends with the ovens and so I, for, some, I, I, for someone or yeah. some group of people. I don't know. I think that's very well put. And you know, now we're seeing as this was being taped our, our very own like night of the long knives where the, wherein the super right wing want to fucking take out the FBI, <laughs> right? you know, and who would have thunk it, you know, the Republicans who were, you know, back in the blue, uh, so I, I do believe well, they, that we they, they back the blue, but like federal law enforcement has long yeah. been, I mean, they, they, I don't think they, I don't see the democracy there. Cause like, you That's know, ever true. Since, like, you know, Ruby Ridge, like federal law enforcement has always been kind of seen among the, the, the far right as like fundamentally illegitimate, like the only posse comitatus, like the only, mm-hmm. the only, like the highest level authority is like local sheriffs and anything above that is unconstitutional. So true. But they did kind of dip into beating up the blue on January 6th. That's true. Yeah. Not to, you know. Not to get petty. So uh, I, I think both things can be true. And uh, I, I, if I understand what you're saying, it's almost like we're just too fucking lazy for a mass yeah, movement. Yeah, I think so. Which I, think, I, yeah. I, I, th- I think there's a certain truth to that. But I do believe as Trump sees his power slipping, the last thing he has 
are the MAGA freaks. Well, they're already doing suicide attacks on the uh, yes. FBI offices and stuff. Yeah. yeah, they've gone full Yukio Mishima, except they're, <laughs> they're, they're not doing seppuku like on the steps of the Pentagon. They're oh, just like, yeah. hurling themselves like FBI officers. But I think you're going to see more and more in that. And I also think, you, you know, more and more Jews are going to be attacked. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm always kind of paranoid because I grew up like the only Jewish kid mm-hmm. in, in a school of 800. And, and you grew up in Pittsburgh. Right? I grew, not yeah. to brag, but the particular school I went to, I was the only Jew. And, uh, you know, I was always accused of killing Jesus, which I, you know, clearly must have done in a blackout when I was like five because <laughs> I had no fucking memory. And, you know, that stays with you. So I just want to like, uh, we, we, we mentioned it before. I just want to read like sort of from the end of the book. You say, uh, you write at the end, you're in sort of concluding remarks, uh, call it the redemption of the living by the dead. That is the gift. That is the horror. That in the end is the only reality that matters. My message of hope and obligatory, if questionably redemptive anti-depression is that the Holocaust was not an exception. It is the time in between Holocausts that it is the exception. So savor these moments. Be grateful. Even if the ax is always falling. Call me a cockeyed optimist. <laughs> I mean, oddly enough, in reviews and such, people have called that hopeful. I, I think it's bleak as fuck yeah. because what you're saying is no matter what, the axe is falling. So, hey, you know, make hay. Have, has anyone, have you gotten any pushback or any criticism about the idea that you're sort of uh, like profaning the Holocaust or that you're making too light of it or that this, the, the humor and absurdity of it is sort of does a disservice? Because I mean, like, I mean, there are many descriptions of the book that are, that are quite horrific of like actual facts yeah. of like, you know, how the Holocaust was carried out or like Dr. Mengele's experiments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, but have you gotten any like from the Jewish community or otherwise about being uh, insensitive or um, sort of too insouciant with how you deal with the material? Again, a great question. Um, I did another book called Painkillers, uh, which with the genius Larry Charles, uh, we tried to do it as a, as a kind of a buddy thing. We're one of the buddies with Joseph Mangala. So I, we anticipated some pushback on that. Never happened, sadly. With this book, I think the heart of it is that it's not anything about the Holocaust, which is nothing but tragic and terrifying and pretentious it's really about the trappings you know it's not the turkey it's the mm-hmm. garnish which i i believe is a saying uh in pennsylvania dutch country though it might be ham so i don't know you know i haven't gotten any pushback and weirdly enough most of the people who have reviewed it have been jewish magazines or jewish newspapers and i've never been covered by these people in yeah. my life and somehow and, and you know even appeared in the jerusalem post not to brag. Uh, and somehow... Any, any fascist newspapers or magazines have I reviewed this yet? You know, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm wait- I haven't gone on Gab. I don't know if it's been reviewed on there. But, uh, you know, or what is it? Truth, Truth Social? Truth Social, yeah. Truth Social. I'll check my account. <laughs> uh, you know, see if I got any dings. But, uh, you know, so far, I think people have understood what the book is about. And of course it was a risky venture, but it seemed some books you just have to write. And, and this was one of them. But I guess like, you know, as like you said, you grew, you grew up as like the only Jewish kid in your school in Pittsburgh. And it's just like, I, I don't know, like, you know, uh, you have a family history of like, you know, fleeing pogroms, you know, like my, my father's parents and my father, my father's father, like his, his family, they all fled Russia to avoid conscription in the Tsarist army. Same with my grandfather, yeah, fleeing, fled conscription in the Tsarist yeah, exactly. army. And, Very same and history. This sense of like, you know, there's always a kind of sense of paranoia, like I guess. Going Does that Jewish. make you half a Jew? 
Uh, yeah, technically. No, actually, right. no, it's in, it makes me one quarter of a Jew, but on the wrong side because it was his dad's oh. side. That'd kill you anyway, man. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, actually, one time I You're grew dust. up in the Upper West I'm Side. I'm sorry I outed you. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up in the Upper West Side, and one time I was uh, walking down the street with my dad, who, uh, you know, is a, so we say, like, is a half Jewish himself, but is very visibly Jewish. And we were approached by the, Nicely uh, put. the, the, the mitzvah mobile, you know, oh like my the, the, God. The they want, they, they, sure. they, they try to approach yeah. Jews and get them to be more Jewish. And they approach you on the street and they go, excuse me, sir. Like, do you mind my asking, are you Jewish? And it was one of the most proud moments of my life with my dad where he goes, oh, like, you know, a little bit, I'm, I'm half Jewish. And the guy goes, oh, well, if you don't mind my asking, uh, what side? And he goes, I'm uh, Jewish on my dad's side. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, but you know, we're only interested in, <laughs> And if your mother was Jewish, my dad just, without missing a beat, just looks at him and goes, buddy, if it was good enough for Hitler, it should be good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I guess like just in terms of like good. The, the relationship to like, like the, the Jewish American life and this like idea of the Holocaust is like this idea of this, it's always out there mm-hmm. and it's always defining you in some way or it's always like worried that it might happen. But like in terms of like an American Jewish sense of self, like for you personally, like how much is the kind of the gallows humor of it is really like the meaning of it. Like when confronted with the most unimaginable thing possible, what else do we really have but to laugh? Of course. And, you know, well-known fact, I'm not coming up with this. Oppressed people are generally the funniest people. Yeah. And there is also the fact, which my grandfather, the one who avoided conscription uh, in the czar's army, would always say, if you ever forget you're a Jew, a Gentile will remind you, which I think has never been more apt now because people aren't afraid, thanks to Trump and company, people aren't afraid to express, this shit's always been there, but Mm -hmm. they're not afraid now to just show it. And, like, I mean, is is it a way of, uh, like... I don't want to say like, oh, like, you know, uh, comedy or writing is going to save the world, but is it a way to like sort of undermine the, the, the evil of this or just to notice it or at least just diffuse its own hold over one's own psyche? You know, you're an artist yourself, so you know that when you write or paint or whatever, you, you don't always know what the fuck you're doing when you're mm-hmm. doing it. So I think the answer to that is yes, absolutely, but not consciously. Right. You know, I, I think I was diffusing it. And also, you know, because there's nothing funnier than these assholes, but there's also nothing scarier. Yeah. You know, and I think it's kind of a Mobius strip where you're always flipping from one to the other simultaneously. Well, I think as, uh, as James Joyce said, uh, history is a nightmare that we are all trying to stop laughing about. <laughs> Something, <laughs> like yeah, that. something like that yeah. i think uh jerry stall i want to thank you so much for joining us the book is 999 it is uh, incredibly funny and uh, like i said incredibly dark but you know if you're a fan of jerry stall you'll know what to expect but if you're not this is this is the chance to get on get on board get on board now the jerry stall train thanks man i'm a huge fan it's an honor to be here oh oh by the way one last thing uh did you attempt to play pokemon go in auschwitz or did they did they shut that down uh you're throwing me a softball here, yeah. but they did have a sign, no Pokemon. <laughs> so uh, did, did any Pokemon die in the Holocaust? That's an important question. Apparently, two did. <laughs> but a, they're keeping it under wraps. Yeah, it was I'm a not Squirtle, at liberty to say. Is it yeah. Charizard? Okay. Yeah. All right, Jerry Stahl, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, man. 